Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. You ain't desert dwelling mama with a heart of gold that's living in the city show. Getting old, but the coffee's good. All the traffic makes me scream. I've got to get back to them Texas place. I go and say.
Well, good Thursday for August the 1st, 2019. I'm Gary Holt, your host from Nashville, Tennessee, and joining me in Albuquerque is our co-host, Miss Bobby Bell. And we kick things off with Adrian Brannan, Desert Dwelling Mama. Good morning, Miss Bobby. Good morning, Gary. And what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, it's been an interesting week. It's been an interesting week. You familiar with the time jumpers? Yes. You know, our good friend Ranger Doug is part of the time jumpers and and Vince Gill. And uh, Monday night, Vince had laryngitis. And who do you think filled in for him? I can't imagine. (laughs) Tell me, tell me. (laughs) You never know who's going to be in Nashville where. And James Taylor was at third and Lindsay. Yeah, with the time jumpers. And so uh, he did a great version of Honky Talk Angel. So I didn't know I didn't know James had so much uh, country in him, but he does. So. Uh, well, anyway. that, that reminds me that reminds me we saw Riders in the Sky last set, uh, Friday night here in Albuquerque. Oh, they gave us such a great night. And um, they they did a really cool rendition of um, Surf and Safari. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. That is cool. Surfing USA. Surfing USA. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, and, uh, you know, everybody is talking about the uh, documentary that Kim Burns has coming out called uh, Country Music. And Ranger Mm -hmm. Doug is in a couple of episodes on that. And I think he's going to be with us the 1st of September to talk about that just a little bit. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. A lot of fun. Well, we have a lot of fun lined up today. I'm excited about our first guest who's joining us we have john chandler on the line and you know i don't know i don't know how we haven't had john on before but um he makes his first appearance today finally <laughs> well finally and and if he has a good time maybe he'll come back and join in us join us again sometime so anyway we're looking forward to talking with john and then in the second hour of the show today we have representatives from the u.s forest service that will be joining us, along with our good friends from Backcountry Horsemen of America. So it's going to be a fun couple of hours today on Equestrian Legacy Radio Network's Campfire Cafe in Saddle Up America. But right now, let's listen to a great song from Mr. John Chandler. It's one called Colorado Skies. And when we come back, we'll be talking with John today on the Campfire Cafe.
today's guest, John Chandler. A seventh-generation Coloradian, John Chandler's music and stories reflect his heritage and his eight CDs, two novels, two nonfiction works, and myriad short stories and nonfiction articles are collected by Western lifestyle aficionados worldwide. Chandler writes and sings of the historic and contemporary West. The Los Angeles Daily News dubbed Denver native John Chandler the best Western songsmith since Ian Tyson. And a review of John Chandler's iconic CD Westerns includes the phrase, Chandler's music is literate and literary. Award-winning Western author Johnny D. Boggs has this to say, John Chandler is part Wallace Stegner, part Jack Schaefer, he's part Bruce Springsteen, and part Rambling Jack Elliott. He's part William F. Cody and part Cole Younger, yet he's distinctly original, a poet laureate of the American West of past, present, and future. And here's a quote from last week's guest, Doris Daly. I love this. He walks on stage and it's like pouring cream for a bunch of cats. The audience is slurping up everything he gives them, and if they were any happier, they'd be purring. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe an award-winning author, songwriter, and a performer who was named True West Magazine's Best Western Musician, John Chandler. Welcome, John. 
Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. What a great opportunity to come on and spend a little time with both of you. That's me purring. That's me purring. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Good, good. Had a had a good time visiting with you. So you didn't mention, Bobby, in your introduction that he's just a good all-round guy. So, uh, well, I figured, we're del- I figured we would discover that, you know, through the interview. I, I think so. I think so. Uh, I anyway. should put that on my promo stuff, that he's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> that goes a long way, really. That goes a long way. <laughs> hey, John, so you're seven generations uh, in Colorado, but tell us how you got your start in music. Um, actually, it seems that I've always I've always done it. No one in my family's been really musical, but I I started playing trumpet in fourth grade and, and took it up through uh, through high school. At the same time, I got an old beat up guitar and started doing stuff. And by by college, I was I was busy playing uh, playing coffee houses and and a few bars and things like that. And the next thing you knew, after I'd gotten out and gotten into a into a corporate career, I was uh, I was spending most of my time in in um, in honky tonks and bars playing. And the uh, <laughs> next thing you knew, I was uh, I was touring with a with a group called Dawson out of Denver. And uh, and we uh, we we toured all over the West and uh, during it was like, it was mostly a country thing, but we have some Western overtones. And then later uh, later in my career, I was asked to be involved with a uh, with a group out of California that was that was doing a lot of books on tape. And I was. I was um, working on Zane Gray novels, um, um, making sure that they uh, sounded good and had a lot of music involved. And the next thing you know, I was I was busy doing this, and that was uh, eight and almost nine CDs later. Wow! 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 Yeah. wow. Yeah. Did, did you start out with country music, or were you playing something else? I, yeah, I, I actually we we started off with with country and rock, obviously. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm obviously calling in on a landline, which is why telemarketers are going to be in, interrupting us here during the, <laughs> during the chat. So, but in any event, no, um, you know, I, I grew up the Beatles and Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash were just gods to me, and uh, and then uh, then I discovered I discovered uh, I discovered Hank Williams and and everything changed. Oh wow, wow, wow. So, have did you spend any time in Nashville? Were you ever tempted to come to Nashville and spend some time? I was very tempted. I actually came down several times and and uh, was offered a, a couple of jobs at a couple of publishing houses. And at that particular time in my life, it didn't work out just because just because I had a family and I was trying to put food in their mouths. And it was it was harder to do in Nashville than it was in Denver at that time. But I, I always had wonderful experiences in Nashville. I was actually on a, an old. Uh, an old uh, show called uh, "You Can Be a Star." <laughs> I don't know if oh, you remember yeah. that one, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, which was a which was a great experience. Um, it was uh, Jim Ed Brown, and and we <laughs> had had a lot a lot of time in there. But I met a lot of people, and and uh, I, I still keep in touch with a lot of them. That is so cool. That is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> Did you know our good friend Bill Barwick? I knew Bill very well. We're very close friends. In fact, I'm looking at a, a book of his right in my in my office right now. So that he had that um, that was in his estate that his friend uh, Jacqueline Hirsch had given me. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill was a great guy, and uh, uh, I think, well, I know he was on the show just a week before he had his stroke. And, right, uh, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah. that was the last radio appearance that he made. But uh, probably it was, so a, much, it was a great shock. 
Yeah, yeah. it really was. It really was. So much I, talent in your market. A lot of talent. We, you know, we were at the point that one, we were almost the the next uh, the next thing Denver was at one point. Um, during during the, the the late '60s up through the mid '70s, all the all the uh, rock and rollers, the Crosby, Stills, Nashes, and Dan Fogelbergs, and everything of the world, all all relocated up here to Boulder and Denver, and and uh, for some reason it just it just didn't quite happen. But we have we have an amazing music scene here. It's really thriving. Um, for what I do in the acoustic in the acoustic uh, Americana type genre, um, we have some fantastic people here. Yeah, you really do. Well, which which leads me to ask about America Soul Live. How did that get started? Well, um, the Old Town Pick and Parlor is a guitar store in in Arvada, Colorado, which is a Denver suburb. And Kit Simon has had it for uh, 25 years or so. And about 15 years ago, he asked me to start hosting a, a monthly concert series there. And it just it took off. All of a sudden, uh, PBS was busy was busy taping it and and showing it. Wow. Frontier Airlines was showing it all over the oh. country. Oh. And, uh, wow. And so yeah, so we're in our fifteenth year now, and I invite uh, two other acts or guests, either one, to join me each month, and they come in, and we in in all the shows that we've done, one hundred and fifty some shows, we've never had a stinker. It's just been fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it well, looked like so much. They look like so much fun. What a great um, venue, the look of the venue um, from the pictures that I see on your website. And it was fun just looking at some of the guests that you've had that you've had on where I recognize, I know there was a picture with you and um, Bill Barwick, I think, out, as they sure. slide through uh-huh. on the website. It's I'll just, always remember that, that, that particular night, Bobby, was, was Bill Barwick and me and then Mary Kay joined us. Um, oh, and, wow. And, <laughs> right. And we had we had a wonderful night. That's that's one of the most memorable shows I think that we've done. That is wow. so, so cool. Well, you've got, uh, I think, August 20th, you've got coming uh, a couple of great guests to join you. I do. Um, Dan McCorrison is an, is an old friend, and Nancy Elliott is a new friend. Um Dan Dan uh, was one of those guys back back uh, that that did that did an amazing amazing um, album which is still considered uh, a classic and I know you probably talked with him about this but it was he had a band in Boulder Colorado called Dusty Drapes and the Dusters right so, uh, when he when he went out uh, on his own um, Chris Hillman from the Birds and the Flying Brudo Brothers produced this record that had every great Los Angeles picker in the world on it. And Dan's songs were so strong, and and uh, that's it's one of those great lost records that when you when you run across it and you say how in the world wasn't this number one? Um, and Dan Dan has spent a lot of time his time in Nashville as well. Now lives in Arizona. Nancy's a new friend, and uh, she has she has done a wonderful job with uh, with um, put really instituting a musical presence in the Tucson area. And she's a great singer and songwriter as well. So this is going to be a really good show on August 20th. It will be. That should yeah. be a great yeah. show. And then you have uh, the multi-talented Ernie Martinez that performs. <laughs> Can I thank Johnny Neal as well? Yeah, and Johnny and Neal, Johnny I do. Um, the Ernie and Johnny have been playing with me as John Chandler in the Wichitones for about about 15 years. 16 years maybe something like that and it's been it's been really fun in fact ernie and i got the chance we were in the studio yesterday working on a new project and he's he was the um the international western music association's uh instrumentalist of the year last year yes yeah. he was he played <laughs> yes, everything he was. Uh, gosh. Oh. 
Well, you have got some great music, and I want to get to uh, another one of the songs right now that we're going to be sharing with our audience, and this is one called Through the Gap. You want to tell us a little bit about this song? Sure. I, I belong to a group called the Hole in the Wall Gang. We ride the Outlaw Trail up in Wyoming. We're butch casting the Sundance Kid. Um, had their hideouts up at the Hole in the Wall, a beautiful area called the Great Red Wall. And, and several years ago, I, I uh, up and wrote a theme song for our group called Through the Gap, and that's what it's about. All right. Well, let's take a listen to Through the Gap, and we'll come back and talk more with John Chandler in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe. Through the Gap Down the arroyo Cool water and long sweet grass Fresh horse, a place to go Red wall shine High as a fever Warm as a mother's love On the day that you leave her Lonely rider in the morning mist Hell-bent for the rim to the west A bowler hat and a saddlebag full of cash And a pistol he'd rarely used Except the times when he'd had to choose Between a hole in the wall and a hole six feet in the ground Through the gap Down the arroyo Cool water and long sweet grass Fresh home, a place to go. Red wall shine, high as a fever. Warm as a mother's love on the day that you leave her. Through the whole is a hideaway. Keep the wolves at bay. Till the next payroll comes rolling down the railroad line. Campfire's light, tall tales on a moonlit night, a guitar and a bottle of old Yellowstone, a place where ghosts run free, the wild bunch and the Shoshone, a feeling that you should have been here a hundred years ago. Through the gap, down the arroyo, cool water and long sweet grass, fresh home, a place to go. Red wall shine, hot as a fever, warm as your mother's love, on the day that you leave her, through the gap, down the arroyo, cool water and long sweet grass, fresh home, a place to go. Red wall shine, hot as a fever, warm as a mother's love. On the day that you leave her Through the gap Down the arroyo Cool water, long sweet grass Fresh home, a place to go Red wall shine Hot as a fever Warm as a mother's love On the day that you leave her
Through the Gap from the CD The Gang by today's guest, John Chandler. John, you're, um, I'm also, not only are you a, a, a prolific and award-winning songwriter, but you're also a novelist, and I know you're very involved with the uh, Western Writers of America Association. Um, that I am. One of the books... Yeah, one of the books that you wrote was about Tom Horn. You want to tell us a little bit about Mr. Horn? <laughs> um, sure, absolutely. This again, being a novel, it, it gives you license to uh, to lie if you want to, rather than <laughs> just being a historical um, tract. But uh, this this was something I'd wanted to write for some time. My great grandfather, um, great great grandfather, pardon me, his name was Frank Owenby, was a friend of Tom Horn's, and. Uh, and uh, they they got into some adventures together. Um, we were Gary and I were talking about the town of, of I'm sorry, Gary, it was not you. I was talking to you about the town of Cotopaxi, Colorado. But in any event, um, Tom Horn and and uh, Frank and we got together uh, um, and chased down some outlaws. When Tom was a uh, was a Pinkerton agent before wow. he became uh, an outlaw himself. So. Um, uh, the, a letter from my um, two great grandfather Frank Olenby is in is in um, included in um, Tom Horn's um, autobiography that he wrote shortly before he was hanged, uh, with my grandfather saying, "I know you couldn't have done it, and I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to help you out." Well, obviously that was to no avail. But so I took wow. that particular slice of history, and uh, and decided I would I, I would take a different tack on it because it's been tackled so many times, and it turned into a, a really nice book for me. I was very very uh, I was very very honored to be a finalist for the Colorado Book Award on that one. And uh, it's it's a it's a real true tale of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Yes. And well. Now I know you also wrote um, Spanish Peaks, right? Right. But, and then there's a song of the by the same title. Are they is the book and the song connected, or is that just they are a, connected? Yes. Okay. Um, I cannot I cannot remember which came first. If you want to know the truth, I, I suspect I suspect that they almost came simultaneously. As I was writing the novel about the Spanish Peaks, which takes place uh, in the Civil War era, era in Frontier, Colorado, um, and it has to do with where my family settled uh, when they first came to Colorado from Georgia. My mother's family, I should say, and uh, in the Civil War times, um, and then uh, the song the song popped out, and it's basically become my theme song over the years so it's it's a it's a song i'm very proud of and it it tells a really good story i think well let's take a listen to the song the spanish peaks we are talking with a very interesting mr john chandler today on the campfire cafe and we'll come back and continue our conversation in just a moment campfire burned to ashes and the moon rose in the sky I woke before the dawn's light a tear ran down my cheek I dreamed of home and family there beneath the Spanish peak On the trail from Santa Fe Where plains and mountains meet 
And the rivers cut through canyons And the air is fresh and sweet I carved my life in granite I let my roots run deep I found the only peace I've known There beneath the Spanish peak The wind blows hard and heavy Tears a hole right through my soul And I long to take the road that leads back
so many consequences of of the war that were, you know, things like that. Just, you know, what was going on with cattle? <laughs> Absolutely, it's, Bobby. It was it's amazing, and I've I've just finished writing about that for another project that I'm working on about the great the great cattle uh, migrations where they basically go down to Mexico and South Texas and pull in the Longhorns and then ship them on up the cattle trails to Kansas and later to Colorado and Cheyenne and in order to get beef back to Chicago and out to out to the West Coast and and uh, without the the Civil War I'm not saying it's a good thing that that happened but that industry was created by that conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is it is fascinating. It is. It is. So, what is what is the project that you're working on now, as far as the novel? Um, the no, the novel that I'm working on now is a is a uh, novelization of, a, of one of my songs called "He Was No Hero," and it's about how uh, Jesse and Frank James were not really, really very good guys. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so uh, it's it's something that I've, I've I've had on the back burner for a, a few years, and it's very, very close to being finished now. So. I'm very oh, happy with that. And the, the song itself is, is is done real well for me, so I'm real real happy to get that one get that one out the road. So uh, then we have another another project I just finished uh, um, called uh, called Meet Me in Cheyenne, which is for the Nelson Museum of the West in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and it's a coffee table book um, that goes over this amazing collection that Bob Nelson has has uh has created this this wonderful museum for it. So uh, that's going to be out um later this year or perhaps in the spring. So I'm real I'm really looking forward to that yeah. as well. So how wow, is, so so I have to ask, yeah, I got to ask this question, John. How mm-hmm. for for everyone out there that is multi-talented, how in the world do you organize your time to be able to find big chunks of time for the creative process? And still be able to perform, you know. How how do you? Why don't you come to the IWMA and do a, a seminar on time management? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, honestly, it's lucky that this isn't televised because if you saw my office, you wouldn't have asked that. You said, There's a hoarder that lives in that office. <laughs> so, but uh, no, it, and, and it is. I think it's just it's just naturally being being um, of, of a creative mind. I think most people do this. Um, I, I remember talking with the great Western novelist uh, Don Coldsmith, who became who became a, a, a good friend of mine in his later years, and and his his wife um, Edna had just said the same thing. He said Don's office, you can't you can't walk in, you can't walk out, you're afraid to touch anything because he's got a mental file cabinet there, which is exactly <laughs> what I have. So, um, so it, and but but when you, I, I think I think you just uh, feel the urge to create. It's kind of hard to sit down and and do that um, on a, on a timetable. You know, I, I I tend to write oftentimes later in the evening. Um, sometimes then you know, sometimes up, up up to midnight. And then if if I set a if I set a, an alarm clock and say I'm going to write at seven. It just takes so so long to, to get into it, whether I'm talking about music or, or or novels or nonfiction. And I think someone once said that you know that the only way you can write is to stare at a piece of paper in this in this um, modern day a computer screen, stare at it until until a spot of blood forms on your forehead, and then you know you're ready to write. <laughs> oh, I have to, I got to write that down. That's a great quote. <laughs> Um, do you? How do you keep track of, um, especially I guess maybe with the songwriting process, like the the bits and pieces of ideas that maybe come come to you if they come that way. Yeah. You know, how, how do you keep track of ideas so you don't lose them? 
um, scraps of paper. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, bar napkins are always wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> about it. Um, it used to be, uh, you know, I would I would wake up, you know, when wake up in the middle of the night and jot things down, and and they never made any sense in the morning at all. So I have no idea what dreams actually bring you. But um, I, I think I think you jot things down these days. These days, I'll if I if I have a tune I really like, I'll hum it into my phone. If I have a, a lyric I really like, I'll type it into my phone. And then that that way, I, and I I probably have thirty to thirty five songs that I am ready to record for a subsequent CD next year, which will be called I'm Still Here. And that's wow. something that um that that's something that I got to I got to winnow that down from thirty five to thirteen somehow. But they just they just keep coming so. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure how or why. Okay, now All here's right. a real tough question. Here's a uh-huh. here's a it's part of the same topic, but kind of a different sort of question. Sure. I I'm beginning to be a bit on a, a soapbox lately about encouraging performers and writers, uh, authors. I hope that you're keeping an archive. I, I hope mm-hmm. you're figuring out a way to keep your history. So that your family down the generations or your local, you know, your local historical society or a larger, more important um, library or museum or whatever, you know, it's like you all have to be thinking about where this not to lose things so that you have created an archive. I I agree. Um, it, it's something that I wasn't very good at to begin with, but these days these days it is a lot simpler with computers. Obviously, mm-hmm. you just you know you just you hit save and and all of a sudden it's it's there forever. But um, no, I've 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 made sure that I that I jot a lot of stuff down. That that um, if it's not if it's not a blog that I'm writing, it's blog like. So I want, uh-huh. I want my I want my grandchildren to to understand what what I was doing and, and hopefully like it. Yeah, well, your blogs are terrific. I read a number of them off your website. So to our listeners, you need to check out uh, John Chandler's website. Why don't you give us that address while we're talking about it, John? Sure, it's just <laughs> johnchandler.com, and, and it's just uh, the first name is J-O-N, so it's johnchandler.com. Yeah, the, your right. blogs are so well written. Thank you very much. Well, we want to get to some more music while we've got time to do that. And I love this song. This is one called Geronimo's Men. Got a story about this one? I do. My friend Ray Lejeune was reading Sandra Day O'Connor's autobiography that she wrote. Um, I think she contributed. It might have been a biography that was written about her or whatever. But when she was a young girl growing up in Arizona, um, Geronimo came in and stole 45 horses from her grandfather's ranch. And that gave Ray a, a, an idea lyrically to, to come up with some stuff, and so I massaged that and, and, and put a uh, put a, um, a, a melody and a beat to it that I that I felt was more horse-like than most of the horse songs you hear, Gary. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, um, well, so um, it really came out well. This, we recorded this cut. I think you're about to play at the uh, at the uh, National Cowboy Poetry Gathering in Elko, Nevada. Oh, this is great. Well, this is called Geronimo's Man. It's John Chandler, and we'll be back in just a moment. I lost 45 horses to Geronimo's Man. 
They call me sleeping when they snug in It's gonna be hard to explain this one All I can say is the Apache one Running ponies make a cloud dust Lit out for the boat of Mexico oh, bus Singing victory songs in the pale moonlight If I had me a horse, I could give him a fight I lost 45 horses to Geronimo's men The boss of this spread is as mean as sin All I can do to make amends Is find 45 horses and Geronimo's men And Geronimo's man. And Geronimo's man. Hit the trail when the sun came up. Crawling on my belly like a young wolf pup Three days later had the camp inside When I caught a flicker from the corner of my eye The bullets started kicking up that desert sand No use running, I got on with stand Put my lasso around a pony, pulled up the slack Pull down the corral and stole those horses back. I stole 45 horses from Geronimo's men. The boss of this spread is as mean as sin. All I can do to make amends is find 45 horses and Geronimo's men. And Geronimo's men.
<laughs> Geronimo's <laughs> Men, that's John Chandler, and that is from the CD, Maybe It's the Moon. The songs that we're sharing today with our audience is from the CD, The Gang, Sepia Soul, and of course, Maybe It's the Moon. But uh, who were the artists that were performing with you on that? That was Ernie Martinez on mandolin and uh, Butch Haas on bass. Well, those guys did a fantastic job, as always. They but, sure uh, did. They're great, 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 great players. Great, mm-hmm. great song. Well, you have a new project that you're working on musically, and that's uh, called The Homage. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, sure. I, I, uh, my previous eight eight uh, recordings have basically, and in 99%, been my own my own compositions, and and uh, it's been it's been something that I've uh, thought about for a long time to do some cover songs because when I'm doing live shows, um, I always I always throw in a few covers. And so just some some covers that I've found over the years I absolutely just love uh, putting together. And over the years I've been involved with my producer John Macy in Denver, who's who's produced a, a ton of folks. Um, we finally just started talking about this a, a year ago, and the next thing you know we we hopped in the studio. Uh, a couple months ago, with some some great, great, great players uh, from both Nashville and Denver, and and uh, and uh, from Los Angeles as well, uh, J.D. Manus from the Birds, and and Eugene Moles, who played with with Haggard for ages, and a lot of other people, and it's just uh, it's turned into a wonderful thing, and it's ten it's ten cover songs that that I didn't write, but I'm but that I, that I dearly love. Well, that is fantastic. When will that be available? Um, we should have that thing out the the first uh, the second Tuesday, excuse me, of September. Oh wow! 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 That's exciting. All right, put that on your calendar, Bobby. <laughs> I'm putting it on Facebook right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, gosh. Well, we've got a couple of more songs that we want to get to, and uh, the one right now that we want to do is one called Morning Star Moon. Tell us a little bit about this one. Well, I've mentioned the hole in the wall area up in Wyoming, and there's a there's a real mystical place that, um, that's right north of the hole in the wall, and it's where um, Colonel Ronald McKenzie and his and his troops um, caught up with the the Cheyennes under under Dull Knife um, after after uh, after um, Custer had gone down, and uh, obviously there were some chases going on. Um, Dull Knife and, and the Cheyennes were were um, imprisoned basically at Fort Robinson, Nebraska, and escaped. Um, went back up, and they were caught by the army on a December evening in up at the up north of the Hole in the Wall, which is what today is called the Dull Knife Battlefield. And uh, it's it's an amazing place. It, it it gives you chills, maybe like I've only had at at Gettysburg. And you know something really bad happened in this incredibly beautiful place. Um, um, Dull Knife's name in Cheyenne means Morning Star. So this is this is called Morning Star Moon, and I'm very proud that this won the Western Writers of America Spur Award for Best Song. Well, this is another great song. Let's take a listen to that and be back in just a moment. Morning star moon, Wyoming sky, bittersweet taste from time gone by, legends in life, lessons in 
buckskin and sage Winter's cold Medicine pipe Lost in the snow Embers grown No power Giants 
heart It fills my soul With echoes of tunes Played under morning stars Today is Mr. John Chandler, and John, our time has just gotten away from us today. It's flown by, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Great guests make for great shows, and this has certainly <laughs> been one of those. But uh, so much great music, and of course, we've been playing music from three of your CDs today. But uh, tell folks where they can, again, find your website and how they can get your music. Sure, the easiest way is to go to johnchandler.com, and uh, that'll take you right into my website, and we have uh, information about me and some videos up and uh, a blog and something about the America Soul Live show, and you can also shop there and look at all, all of my recordings and, and hopefully uh, make some of them your own. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And they can, they can look you up on YouTube, and you've got a lot of great uh, video on there as well, so always a lot of fun to check those things out well you have absolutely been a great guest and uh this final song that we'll get to today is one called i'm going home you have promised to do this for my (laughs) memorial service whenever that is i'll be there with a with a tuxedo on there you go no no don't wear the tux don't wear the tux but uh, tell, tell us a little bit about this song Oh, this song uh, came about from a, a show that I was doing in Post Falls, Idaho, and went over to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and walked around there, walked around that lake on a boardwalk, and and uh, as beautiful as it was there, I just wanted to be home. But uh, it's been it's been taken by so many people as as a as a, a metaphor for life itself, and 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 for that reason, it's been played at oh so many funerals I can't even count. Well, it is a beautiful song, and uh, Bobby, you want to tell John bye? Oh, do you want you want me to tell John goodbye? Is that what you said? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, what? <laughs> I thought you might want to say bye. Oh, <laughs> um, I guess I'm going to say goodbye, John, until we meet again. <laughs> Sounds great, Bobby. It's been nice talking to you, and we'll see you in November in Albuquerque. Yes, you All sure right. will. <laughs> All right. This is John Chandler, and it's called I'm Going Home. We'll be right back. Last night I walked the shore And the breeze from off the water Renewed a bond as close as a mother and a dog I found myself believing If I turned around the way I came I'd find the road to get back home again I'm going home I'm going home 
Mr. John Chandler and the song is I'm Going Home. Bobby, he was a great guest today. Oh, I'm so glad we finally got an opportunity to have him on. It's really delightful. Yeah, great music. And uh, uh, I guess I'm going to have to get a couple of his books and sit down for a weekend and take a read, don't you think? Um, I, yes, I will need to do the same. <laughs> <laughs> But in the meantime, I'll enjoy listening to his great music. So it's johnchandler.com, and that's J-O-N, johnchandler.com. You can you can own his music yourself, and I would encourage you to do that because it's absolutely great, all of it. So it's uh, been a fun show today. Who's coming on the Campfire Cafe next week? Uh, next week is August 8th. Oh, you would have to ask. Oh, yes, Lacey J. Dalton. <laughs> the legendary, the legendary Lacey J. Dalton is going to be joining us for the Campfire Cafe. And then we'll be talking with Mr. Robert Eversold, the Trailmeister, on Saddle Up America a little bit later. But right now, Bobby, we're going to say goodbye to you because we have a full house coming up on Saddle Up America. And uh, we're going to do that in just a moment, but uh, we'll see you on the trail next week. See you then. See you then. Right now, we're going to listen to a song by R.W. Hampton. It's called Short Grass. And when we come back, it will be Saddle Up America with our good friend, Mr. Jim McGarvey, and guest when we return on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Blows. 
Jim McGarvey. Jim, how are you doing? Uh, doing good, uh, Gary. Listening to all the great music. Very good. <laughs> well, he was a lot of fun. John's a great artist and a great writer. So, yeah, glad you got to listen in on that. Yeah. But uh, we we have a big show, and uh, a lot of folks are very, very interested in the conversation that we're going to have today. So why don't you go ahead and introduce Randy Rasmussen, and I think Randy's going to introduce our other guest. Yes, um, Randy. Um, um, let me back up a little bit here. It's the uh, want to talk about. We're going to have some folks in the Forest Service, and Randy is going to really be the moderator today uh, uh, on this topic. Uh, he's well versed. Uh, but just some background that the the Forest Service over 100 years old, and uh, the 156,000 miles of trails, um, and that's six times around the the Earth at the equator. Uh, to give some idea of it, and uh, but over the the past thirty years, uh, between wildfires and budget cuts, the the trails maintenance has grown because the funds are diverted away from the trails. And so, working in two thousand nine with uh, Dennis Daly, who was retired from the Forest Service and was the wilderness advisor for Backcountry Horsemen, uh, he started the ball rolling on on took a nearly uh, seven or eight years, but to get some legislation passed called the National Forest System Trail Stewardship Act. And uh, uh, that's uh, and what we have today is Randy Rasmussen, who um, has that position that Dennis held when Dennis retired from, from the backcountry horseman. Um, and so uh, with him, we're going to have uh, two members of the Forest Service who I'm going to have um, um, Randy talk to them. But first I want to... Um, introduce randy uh he's um uh well versed uh he's he's worked for the the wilderness society and various other organizations throughout his career and he brings a lot to the table for uh to the backcountry horsemen and uh randy welcome to the show hey thanks jim and and jim used to be my boss at backcountry horsemen <laughs> of america he was our outstanding national chairman 
And I really just love Jim uh, and, and Cindy, his wife. They're a dynamic duo and a great group of people that I'll continue to keep in touch with. Even Jim has cycled out, and we have uh, new new chair people. Uh, he's he's been a great addition uh, with BCHA as has Cindy. So thank you. And and I've been in the role as an employee, and that actually happened under Jim McGarvey, where I came on instead of a, a contractor, a full time employee. Backcountry Horseman of America several years ago, and my title is currently the Director, Public Lands and Recreation. But what that really means is working with partners like you'll hear from today, working on policies that benefit horsemen and women, and the folks that like to get outdoors and use our public trails. So uh, our two guests are really key allies because this is the U.S. Forest Service. This is, you know, in, in perspective of backcountry horsemen of america this is the national agency with which we work the most where i'd say the vast bulk of i think last year alone our volunteer hours totaled over 322,000 hours from our various volunteers throughout the country and i'll bet you 75 to 80 percent of that was on national forest lands um national forest means so much to the backcountry horsemen and women and the two people we have today are really key to our efforts and have been longtime partners um, and really understand the needs, desires, and hopes of uh, the equestrian community in terms of trail. So start off by introducing Jamie Schmidt. Jamie is at the national level in Washington, D.C., the trails program officer for the U.S. Forest Service, the, the key point person for trails in this entire organization. Um, and we really welcome Jamie and, and our longtime partnership that we've had with her that, as Jim mentioned, uh, Dennis Daly forged years and years ago, and that partnership and those benefits continue to flow. So welcome, Jamie. Thanks for, for joining us. Thanks, thanks, Randy and Jim and Gary. Re really delighted to, to be here today. The Backcountry Horsemen and all of our equestrian partners have just been such tremendous um, longtime allies and, and, and friends, and I'm just delighted to be here today. Thanks. Great. And just as important, and especially for your uh, a lot of your listeners, Gary is in the southeast region of the United States. Uh, Deborah Caffin has been in that area for many, many years as the region trails program manager for the u.s forest service she's based in atlanta has what i believe is the largest region and certainly probably the highest in terms of recreational use of anywhere in the national forest system um we call her deb deb caffin has been an ally she's an equestrian herself too uh and works horses and mules and really understands too uh our wants desires needs on the trail and uh, of course she knows the the big picture perspective much like jamie about nationally the scene and, and recreation demand and always these competing demands but deb welcome and, and deb is calling in from atlanta as i mentioned yeah thank you thank you very much and 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 thank you uh uh jim and and gary as well and um and I enjoyed being, being enjoyed being on your show before, and, and uh, glad to be on again with Jamie and, and talking about uh, National Forest System trails. And and yeah, you, we're, I'm pretty uh, partial to the southeast for sure. Um, we go from we go from Texas and include Texas part 
half of Texas and Oklahoma and uh, all the way to Virginia and down, including Puerto Rico. So uh, uh, quite, a, quite a large region, and about a third of the population of the United States lives fairly close within, within a good, good drive of, of, our, of a lot of our national forests here in the southeast. Well, thanks, Deb. And so, Gary, with your permission, I'll just jump into, uh, you know, posing some questions for our guests and trying to really get down into what their jobs entail, how they promote recreation, and specifically what they're doing to get people outdoors and, uh, you know, help with the equestrian community enjoying our public lands. Well, first of all, let me say welcome back, ladies, because it's good to have you back. It's been probably a year or two since you were on. And, um, and I do want to ask Jamie if you're on a speakerphone, if you could not, that will help with some echoing that we're having. So, but Randy, we're going to turn it over to you, man. I'm going to I'm going to kind of rest through this period of the show. Okay, good enough, Gary. Well, and and I won't pick. Well, maybe I will, but uh, just kind of <laughs> remind us briefly. Um, about the extent of our national forests, and, and, and Deb, maybe you're the, more the historian side of things too, but you know, people are familiar with national parks, somewhat familiar with national forests, but we have this big entity called public lands, and tell us about the national forests, maybe how many national forests are there in total? You mentioned Puerto Rico too, uh, which you visited recently is my understanding. Um, kind of where they're located throughout the country, and really importantly, their purpose. What are their mandates? And maybe even a trivia question, does every state, for example, have at least one national forest? What, what can you tell us, Deb, and, and Jamie, you can chime in, too. So actually, I'm going to toss the national picture to Jamie, and then I'll sort of translate that into what we have here in the South. Okay. Okay, Deb, that sounds great. So, so great question. Um, you know, with our national forests, um, national forests across uh, the nation cover gosh, 193 million acres, um, and altogether uh, we're kind of organized in nine broad regions, and altogether we've got 154 uh, national forests and uh, 20 national grasslands, and those are spread across and um, located in 43 states and uh, in Puerto Rico, and, um, you know, we are a, a multiple-use um, uh, mission agency um, Similar to the, to, to the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM, and our agency's mission is to sustain the health, the diversity, and the productivity of the nation's forests and grasslands um, to meet the needs of present and future generations. And, you know, the, the way we really kind of capture that is in our, kind of our slogan of, of caring for the land and, um, and, and serving people. And uh, before I pitch it back to Deb, I, I did want to touch on, I think, what, um, at least for today's conversation, what, what we might think is um, – the most important number is that we really are um, honored and proud to be the, the stewards of over 158,000 miles of uh, national forest uh, trails. And um, I th as I think was mentioned, that's by far the largest uh, managed system of trails uh, in the nation um, and, uh, and, and really is, uh, we think, um, one of the most um, vibrant ways to, to connect people um, to the outdoors and, and to public lands and to their uh, national forests. So, Deb, I'll let you jump in and add anything. Right. So I'm one of the regions, one of the nine regions Jamie talked about. And so the southern region, or in the Forest Service lingo, Region 8. Uh, and, um, and, and, you know, we've got 13 states in Puerto Rico, uh, but a total of 15 national forest units. 
So to your question, Randy, you know, we, we, we overlap fairly closely with the states um, and national forests uh, in, in almost every state, not quite every state, but, um, but not lined up exactly. And we do have forest service, uh, national forests that actually cross some state lines. Uh, here in the southeast, it's interesting because, you know, you go up into the southern Appalachians and, and literally the Cherokee National Forest in Tennessee shares boundaries with the Chattahoochee National Forest in Georgia, which shares boundaries, you know, with national forests in North Carolina, the Pan uh, Nantahala and Pisgah National Forest, uh, and even, you know, touches with uh, parts of the, the Jefferson National Forest in Virginia. So um, people a lot of times will move from state to state across the trail and, and also from forest to forest, uh, just on one, one trail that, that connects across various boundaries. So um, a lot of sharing across boundaries and sharing with our state partners as well. Uh, and so, you know, we represent a lot of just amazing landscapes as an agency. People think of national parks as the iconic uh, landscapes, but we've got some pretty amazing landscapes ourselves. And, you know, here in the southeast, you know, literally from Puerto Rico, like you said, where you've got, um, uh, you know, a rainforest and, in, in, uh, in, you know, down in the islands to um, the whole Gulf Coast ecosystems, the longleaf pine and and some beautiful pine lands to the the Southern Appalachian and the Ozark Mountains uh, in Arkansas. So so really blessed to be in this part of the world. I'm I'm I enjoy it. Well, thanks. That that's really a great overview of the national forest system. And Jamie mentioned that multiple use mandate or mission. And of course, recreation is included in that. It's in legislation that Congress created. And of course, we as backcountry horsemen think. That should be the predominant, you know, mission of the agency. But but you've got other competing uh, types of things. It has to be, you know, a number of things in terms of providing clean water, uh, fisheries, timber products for the country, etc. Those are all things that, you know, I wouldn't call them necessarily competing uses. Sometimes they do, but that's part of that multiple use mission. But recreation is is firmly entrenched in there, and I like. Jamie's way of, of that moniker, connecting people to the outdoors, because that says a lot to at least most of the public and how they view their national forests. And I say they in our national forests because collectively we do, we are owners of these lands. Uh, and I think that's a wonderful thing. With respect to the recreation on the national forest system, um, start with you, Jamie, and then drill down to, to the Southeast region too with Deb. What trends are you seeing in, in terms of the public's use of trails throughout the national forest system. I, every, I have every indication that, that public use and enjoyment of national forests is increasing. Is that being reflected in the statistics and things that you're seeing on your end? You know, it, it is, uh, Randy, and actually we're just, um, we're just shy of a new set of uh, statistics coming out. That's my understanding. But, but, yeah, certainly outdoor recreation is increasing overall across the nation and, and, and definitely um, on national forests. And we're, and we're seeing an increase in uh, use on, on national forest trails. You know, anecdotally, is, is that because the economy is doing better um, and, and folks are, are, are able to get out and, and enjoy? I'm not an economist, but, but, um, but we're certainly seeing um, lots more folks outside um, enjoying their public lands, you know, families, um, groups of friends out, um, just, just increased um, use overall. Um, you know, the, our national forests right now, we're receiving about um, nearly 150 million visitors annually recreating out on national forests. And, 
and almost 90 million of those um, folks um, connect with or use um, national trails. So it kind of exactly goes to what you said a second ago. I mean, trails are really it, right? <laughs> of course, Deb and I, and probably all of you are a little biased, but um, but trails really are a, a huge part of the draw um, to, to getting people um, out on the land. And and with that, with, with all of those folks out enjoying uh, the land, recreating on the land and enjoying trails, um, right hand in hand with that is, is the is the com- the economic component, and you know the recre- outdoor recreation economy is, is a huge um, economic driver um, for the nation. Um, on um, national forests, um, over nine billion in, in annual visitor spending is associated with recreation on the forest, and and that's associated with over 100 and, or pushing 100 and, is it 45,000 jobs supported by rec and tourism spending. So a, a pretty big um, impact overall. And then in addition, you know, if you think of the, the economic contribution to um, folks across the country and communities across the country, there's absolutely equally as important, if not more important, that the health and, um, and uh, welfare um, benefits that come from outdoor recreation and in and particular trails. Um, you know, we're seeing... Um, you know, trail prescriptions being uh, being prepared and distributed by doctors now, which is which is just a, a, a wonderful um, shift that's been occurring lately. Just with folks really seeing um, the health and wellness um, benefits of getting people outside. So, those are some of the trends we're seeing. And then another trend that is really encouraging is um, nationwide continuing to see trends in, um, in increasing volunteerism and partnership, and in particular on, um, on national forest uh, trails. Um, within the Forest Service, um, of course, across a lot of our program areas, um, our campground and recreation sites, our uh, fisheries and watershed improvement type projects, um, we, we really uh, benefit from the assistance of partners and volunteers. But TRAILS is the program in the agency that by far draws um, and benefits from um, the greatest contribution of the largest numbers of volunteers, and for that, we're, we're very um, grateful. Deb? Yeah, I think really just uh, to echo what Jamie said, uh, without a doubt, we're, we're seeing um, our Forester are, are, are really having a great year in terms of, of uh, 4th of July holiday. You know, the forests were, were full. There were people out enjoying their national forest. Uh, you, you drive around and up there and you see horse trailers and you see, you know, uh, cars with mountain bikes and kayaks. And, and, and so just really uh, people are getting out and enjoying it in a variety of ways. You know, I look at trails as the arteries into the, the forest, into the heart of the forest, and, and that's how people experience the forest and, and, and get away from um, – you know, get away from their busy daily lives and, and, and get to, to enjoy some of that forest bathing that we've heard about. It, it is interesting how more and more you're hearing, as Jamie said, this prescription for health and, you know, two hours per week uh, in the outdoors and, and just the, you know, people um, trail running and, and just lots of opportunities. And so we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of our trails that were never um, – you know, they were never really designed for the numbers of people, but, but we're seeing lots of, of, of people now that are, that are out there on our trails and enjoying them. And, and, um, and so, you know, trying, how, trying to think about the future and how to prepare for, for these larger numbers and, and, and uh, provide the access, you know, into the, into the forest that the people are desiring. We have a lot of our forests that are what we call urban forests, and literally 
um, some of our national forest boundaries are right there and connect to the communities. And so uh, communities are very interested in, in partnering and being a part of uh, being, becoming trail towns. Um, we're getting lots of interest in the, the sort of that, that tourism development and, and around trails. Um, so it's sort of a new world, and the energy around trails is, is pretty exciting for those of us that have had careers in, in, in the trail world. It's, 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 it's fun. It's not without its challenges, but it's, it's a lot of – it's a great time to be in trails right now. Well, great. And just briefly, Deb, too, you mentioned the, the term forest bathing, and that's only something I became familiar with recently. I think of hot springs and something going on there, but you're really talking <laughs> about this larger trend that, that, that Jamie mentioned, this – doctors prescribing people to spend two hours in a forest and bathing in and, you know, taking in the forest and the outdoors. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. You know, we, um, as, as horse people, you know, we'll bathe in the smell of our horses. You know, you go out of town for a while and you come home and you give them a hug and you smell, you know, you, you, you smell the, you know, the horse and, and the, the leather and the barn. And, and it's, it's for, for a lot of us horse people, I think we, we understand how that just sort of lowers your blood pressure and slows things down. And, and, and it's the reason we take our, our, our horses or we go hiking in the woods is to, to get out there and just to get away from the hustle and bustle and kind of, you know, sort of uh, bathe in that quiet and, and sort of marvel at, at uh, nature and, and the natural systems. And, and just, you know, we're hearing more and more how, how important that is for us. Leave the cell phones behind. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Get away well, from I think, it. I think you nailed yep. it, Deb. Thanks. <laughs> and, you know, and, of course, that's, that's not new to us to, you know, at least it's just putting it in different terms of what we've known all along in terms of why we all venture into the front country or back country. And the, I, I love the way you put it there, Deb. Um, and, of course, Back Country Horsemen of America was founded – you know, over 26, well, in 1974, around the premise of we need to keep trails open, we need volunteer corps and other people to go out there uh, and keep the trails open because of the the trends that we were seeing back then. It still continues today about trail maintenance and the the challenges. Let me start again with Jamie and ask her about the trail maintenance issue, what we call the trail maintenance backlog. And that is in part while uh, that Jim mentioned at the beginning of this show, uh, the, the National Forest System Trail Stewardship Act, an act of Congress that passed a couple of years ago that tries to chip away a bit at this trail maintenance backlog. But, Jamie, what factors have contributed to that trail maintenance backlog? Why are people sometimes when they go explore their forest finding out that there's a lot of dead and fallen trees or eroded trails or trails that just aren't maintained? What's What's been going on there? And give us a little hope as to, in the next few questions, of how that might improve, uh, you know, as we as we move along here. Sure thing. Well, yeah, the you know we we refer to it as the the deferred maintenance um, backlog, and and right now, and and what that means is that means um, you know when you're when you're out on trails um, and, and work that wasn't done, um, just annual repair, you know, taking care of things. Um, that, w- that we weren't able to get to w- when we should have gotten to it, and so then it kind of all um, stockpiles, and then we then we end up having, you know, an accumulation of of what we refer to it as the deferred maintenance backlog. And, and right now, you know, we've got we're estimating we've got about um, 300 million dollars or so in um, in this deferred backlog maintenance, and that includes, you know, um, serious um, safety hazards 
to anything from serious safety hazards to just, hey, the, you know, um, the, the tread is sloughing off, um, it's um, getting in the way of access, or it's putting sediment into the stream and maybe causing some resource damage, um, those types of things. And so a, a, a considerable backlog. And, and out of that, um, our system of 158,000 miles of trail right now, the agency estimates that only about a quarter of our system, only about 25% of our um, of our trails, meet the agency standards for um, for providing safe and quality uh, recreation uh, experiences. And so, why is that? Well, well, dollars dollars are part of it. Um, budgets, uh, as uh, as was mentioned at the opening of the show, you know, budgets um, in recent years have increasingly been focused on wildfire suppression. And so, um, while there there is a, a, a fix in the in the in the works, and we're waiting for that to shift in, and looking forward to that, um, that really has impacted our availability to, to get boots on the ground, basically, um, to care for trails. Um, and so, talking. Let me talk about that uh, first, and then I'm going I'm to mention another thing. So, um, basically, you know, you know, 10, 15, uh, 20 years ago. Generally, most of our ranger districts had um, had uh, trail crews. A lot of them had um, pack crews and pack stock, um, and that's just not the case anymore. I, I think the majority of our di ranger districts now don't have any tra trail crews, and, and they might just have one person who can organize um, some volunteer crews that were, if they can get grant funding, et cetera. So um, capacity and personnel is, um, is certainly um, a huge part of it. And then that's compounded. Um, by um, these recent large-scale wildfires that we've seen at an increasing um, pace and also scale uh, recently, as well as these, these uh, you know, large and impactful um, weather events, you know, hurricanes, um, you know, major windstorms um, that, that result in a lot of um, downfall and down trees across the trails. Um, what else was I just thinking of? Oh, you know, um, it, over a, a couple of the last uh, winters in the in the Sierras, for example, the heavy um, the heavy snowfall that then you know avalanches and um, major impact to, to trees, et cetera, and also you know uh, beetle kill to trees. So a lot of these large scale uh, natural events are also um, contributing to um, to the deferred maintenance backlog and and our um, lack of ability um, to, to get after it to the level that that we would like. Um, in addition to those factors, um, another thing that, um, that's always been there um, and that certainly contributes is it, in, in a fair amount of instances, not the majority, and we're shifting in the right direction on this now, thankfully, but in a fair amount of instances, we'll find that, that we've, we just happen to have trails that they're not sustainable. They're not, and by sustainable, and we mean are they are they in the right location, you know, on the land? Um, are, are, they, are they in a place where they're not going to um, put sediment into a stream and they're not going straight up and down a mountain and, you know, causing erosion, those types of things? Are, are they sustainable um, environmentally? Are they sustainable um, economically, meaning that we've got the funding or we've got partner support to care for those trails um, into the future? And then are they socially sustainable, which means are they, are they the right trail that, um, visitors want that the public wants that provide um, you know the right uses and the right type of challenge level. So um, so in a lot of cases we've got trails that we, we just kind of in, have have inherited. They've just occurred and we've inherited them over the time. And 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 sometimes those are even old um, game trails, right? Where where the deer or the elk 
were pounding a path through, and over time people started taking that path, and maybe it's not in the right lo- location, or maybe they're old trails up to um, up to old fire lookouts, which would be much steeper and not in a in a sustainable location if we were to design them today. So those are also contributing factors and and factors that we're working to, to go after as we look to you know redesign and, and relocate um, trails to sustainable locations. So I'd certainly say you know funding is a part of the problem, lack of capacity, um, shortages with personnel um, currently, and it's not only shortages with forest service crews, um, it's also shortages with our, our local um, trail technicians who are the folks who can go out and identify needed work and put together um, trail projects either for contract or for uh, our crews to, to, to work on or for partners and volunteers to work on. So those are all um, contributing factors to the um, to our um, deferred maintenance backlog, but it's not all doom and gloom. And I know you're going to um, get to those um, here in, in the remaining part of the of the discussion, Randy. But I wanted to see if Deb had anything she wanted to add from from her perspective on the deferred maintenance backlog. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting when you think about the evolution of trails, and particularly even over just um, my career with the Forest Service, and and. You know, many, many years ago, trails were the transportation network of this country, and it was more about getting from point A to point B as opposed to the actual journey. And and nowadays, you know, the trail is the recreation opportunity. You know, it's about being able to find a trail and go out and, and, and you know, and scenery and the way that where the trail goes is more important than really always getting from point A to point B. And 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 so some of those old trails, like like Jamie was talking about, you know, were not sustainable. They went straight up the mountain and straight back down the other side because that was the shortest distance, and you were trying to cover ground. Um, and nowadays, it's it's uh, um, there's a famous Louis, or there's a Louis L'Amour quote that I think is uh, that I love, and it's about you know many's the day uh, it goes something along the line that many is the day that I heard uh, riders talk about how far they had gone and not what they had seen. You know, and it's something like that. I'm not quoting it exactly, but, you know, I think that nowadays uh, it's a lot about what do you see and, and making those trails um, more of that recreation opportunity and experience. And, um, and, and you know, back to sort of the technical abilities and, and what we've learned is, is how to be more sustainable and put them on a more sustainable alignment um, so that they, they can weather a lot of these weather events. Um, you know, we here in the southeast just had one of the wettest winters ever, and in fact, we still have a national forest uh, over near the Mississippi River that has large portions of that forest underwater still. Um, and so, you know, it's challenging us to think about how we construct trails and how we we, we are able to improve them and have a design um, that can withstand some of this, some of some of these types of weather events um, uh, that we're that we're seeing. So. Um, I think the technology is improving, and I think we're getting better at it. And I know we've got really sophisticated partners, um, such as Backcountry Horsemen, and, and we're all sort of in this together to figure out how to how to keep these things sustainable for the long term and for the numbers of, of people that are using them now. Well, great. Gary, how are we doing on time? Well, we're doing okay. I do want to take just a real quick break because I know we have some uh, interesting conversations still to come. But uh, we want to take a break and listen to a song from Mr. Jim Jones. It's called Colorado Calling. And uh, and you ladies are giving us a lot to think about that I had never thought about before. But uh, we'll continue the conversation when we come back 
on Saddle of America. I saw her timeless beauty through the prism of my youth. Lofty peaks where eagles soared a fundamental truth. A vision of forever, a voice that spoke of home. A promise of safe haven carved in wood and stone. And I heard Colorado calling. Colorado calling But the young are full of light And fancy always moving on Something shiny caught my eye And I was up and gone Years go by, the pages turn You wander and you roam From the past you hear a voice Calling you home And now I hear Colorado calling I hear Colorado calling Like some old stalwart sentinel I hear the Rockies call A stronghold of peace and truth Standing proud and tall So if it's time to draw here I'll stand or fall Cause I hear Colorado calling I hear Colorado calling Colorado calling I hear Colorado 
Saddle Up America and uh, absolutely interesting conversation that we're having today. So uh, Randy and Jamie and Deb and uh, and Jim are all on the line today. And uh, Randy, we're going to just turn it back over to you. We've got about another 10 minutes or so. Okay. Thank you, Gary. Um, yeah, I want to turn towards the solution side and what's going on now with our partners from the Forest Service. And, you know, maybe this is a self-serving question because backcountry horsemen and women do a lot of trail maintenance. We know that. We've been an important partner for a long time. But what if people want to pick up a shovel, an axe, maybe a Pulaski or a McLeod and want to start, you know, help maintaining trails? What, how important is that role of volunteers and partners in keeping trails open on our national forests? Well, uh, the role of partners and volunteers on our national forests in general, and certainly on our on our trails across the national forests, it, it's not only important; it's it's just essential. I, I really can't um, underscore that enough. Um, across all nine of our regions, um, anywhere from 30 to 40 to 60 and even more than 60% of the maintenance, trail maintenance that's being accomplished on our National Forest System, system trails is done by partners and volunteers. Um, it's de- we just depend on partners and volunteers, and, and certainly Backcountry Horsemen of America and our equestrian um, trail partners are right there in, in, the, in the lead in that regard on out on the ground, um, packing in um, material supplies, personnel, um, equipment at times, and, and then rolling up the sleeves and, and, and getting to work uh, d- down in the dirt on trails. So, um, so the role of partners and volunteers is, is just essential. Um, I, I want to mention, you know, additionally, I talked about uh, our Forest Service crews, and, and we also, our, our, our traditional trail crews work on trails. We also, um, have for, for decades, have had our fire crews, when and where they can, assist, and, and we're looking at, at ways to get more systematic in that regard. We also rely on, on contractors. But, but by and away, um, and increasingly, partners and volunteers, the assistance of partners and volunteers um, is essential. And with that, Randy, if I may, I, I just wanted to um, touch on um, the National Forest System Trail Stewardship Act that, you know, was passed in, uh, late in, uh, in, in 2016. And, and that act has just been instrumental in really shining a, a spotlight on the importance of um, forests across the, uh, or I'm sorry, trails across the national forest, and and the need for um, for a focus on um, on caring and maintaining uh, those trails, and, and in particular, looking for ways to um, to invite, um, make it easier, and, and really be able to leverage the assistance and expand the assistance um, from partners and volunteers on on trails. And there's a number of things, uh, requirements that are in the act, and things that we've got. Um, underway. I probably don't have time now to go into all of those um, with the, the little bit of time we've got left, but we're making a great headway on, on, on strategically and intentionally across the, the agency trying to um, increase opportunities for partners and volunteers to assist. We've, you know, our Secretary Purdue, the Secretary of Agriculture, um, uh, selected 15 large um, trail maintenance priority areas um, a couple of years ago, and those are now in their in their second full summer. Um, we've got uh, those areas have uh, 
have got broad collaboratives of partners, volunteers, communities, stakeholders, really innovating and, um, and, and rolling up their sleeves and, and, and getting to work on the ground. And we're, I, I am looking, we're all looking uh, really forward to seeing um, our first round of accomplishment reporting uh, to see how many, how many miles and how many hours are contributed, et cetera. Um, and we're going we're gonna to have that information later that, uh, this fall. So, so that's wonderful. And also an additional requirement of the um, Trail Stewardship Act is just to launch a, a trail um, outfitter and guide trail stewardship credit pilot program, and that's where um, an outfitter and guide who pays annual annual use permit fees to, to operate um, their services on national forests, they can choose if they're in a participating pilot program. They can choose instead of paying the the annual use fees um, to do some trail work, um, agreed upon trail work in lieu of paying the fee. And we're just we're just getting really close to being able to launch um, that program on at least 20 national forests as, as required by the act and, and really looking forward to trying some things out and, um, and, and, uh, and, and letting folks really go, go for it in a, in a pilot program to experiment and see, see what works and, and how that program will work. So those are some of the things that, that are underway and we are really um, actually grateful and, and excited about um, implementing the Trail Stewardship Act. Well, Jamie, that's that's great, and you mentioned the innovation, the priority areas, and one of your innovators is, is Deb in that southern region with her partners. Deb, briefly tell us about the Southern Appalachian priority area and what you all are doing with partners to get more trail maintenance done. Right. So, so uh, yeah, we the Southern Appalachians uh, forest, uh, some of the some of the ones that I mentioned earlier, the in Virginia and Tennessee and North Carolina. And the Chattahoochee, they all they all share. Um, the, I mean, the ridge of the southern of the Appalachian Mountains, um, and it's a it's a, just a magical place in our region. And and um, and so uh, we're focusing. We almost half of the mile, over half of the miles of our trails in our region are located in, in those national forests in the Southern Appalachians. So we're focusing on on building our capacity as an agency. Um, to be able to better engage our volunteers and partners and make sure that the projects that you guys come out for, um, you know, are really quality projects, that they're set up well, people enjoy it. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something, you know, we want to be able to maximize the use of our volunteers, um, additional training, all that kind of stuff. So we're really focusing um, for the short term uh, that we're going to be able to enhance our agency capacity um, to, to work with our volunteers so that uh, um, uh, hopefully we'll be able to just really, really uh, increase the number of opportunities that people can participate. And, and, you know, it's not all about trail building. Sometimes it's about just helping us identify noxious plants and, and invasive plants and helping us uh, be, you know, you're the eyes and the ears when you're uh, for the agency. When you're out there on that trail, you're seeing things and letting us know about trail conditions and so there's lots of things to volunteer on, and you don't always have to be willing to swing a hammer or an axe or a crosscut or work the crosscut, although they're a lot of fun too. Great. Well, here's the last question I'll pose to you both, starting with Jamie. In parallel with this Trail Stewardship Act that you're implementing under con Congress's direction, you've also come up as the Forest Service with this 10-year sustainable trails stewardship challenge. This is something that, you know, uh, can also increase the visibility of the need to work on trails, make them sustainable, as, as you've all discussed about, uh, and really get down to a system that we can manage that is enjoyed by the American public and doesn't have a huge price tag associated with it. 
briefly tell us, Jamie, about that 10-year sustainable trails challenge and specifically what can the average equestrian, whether they're a member of Backcountry Horsemen of America or not, what can they do to contribute and ensure that their favorite National Forest System trails remain open and enjoyed uh, for all the folks that use them? Yeah, so that our 10-year um, sustainable trail challenge, um, that that's coming out of um, uh, a parallel product to the to the Trail Stewardship Act, and that's our agency's first ever national trail strategy, um, which was published um, just under two years ago. And the national trail strategy, not to not to get all bureaucratic, but it really it really is. Um, uh, an inspiring document. Uh, it was uh, crafted with the input of hundreds of partners and volunteers and employees um, nationwide, and it identifies um, 26 high-leverage actions that we're thinking collectively, we, the agency, partners, community, stakeholders, it'll help us collectively really move the needle um, from the system that we have now of trails with, you know, some of them in, in not, in the, not sustainable, not in the right location, this just heavy uh, backlog of deferred maintenance. It'll really help shift the needle, move the needle over hopefully a 10-year period or less, ideally, um, to where we do have a, a sustainable system of trails that are in the right locations, they're providing the right uses and experiences, the desired uses and experiences, um, and, they're, and they're cared for and maintained and, and um, into the future. So a part of that uh, trail strategy is for the agency to, to stand up and launch what we're calling a 10-year trail challenge. And, and we're sorting out, you know, what, what's that all going to look like? But in, in a nutshell, what it looks like is where do we want to be, all of us, 10 years from now? We know that um, the paradigm has changed. It's, it's gone are the days of Forest Service crews uh, and pack streams solely taking care of trails, if those days ever really existed, because I think we've always had partners and volunteers um, helping us. But, the, but it's really shifting to, to a much more um, vibrant model where collectively together we're, we're all working um, to care for trails and we're all innovating and trying to come up with ideas on, on how to, to best do that. Um, I think a couple of the ways that um, the volunteers and partners can, can, can best help ensure that their trails are there for them is to stay informed. You know, participate in, in whatever's going on, whether you're interested in um, local plant or, or national planning activities, projects you want to comment on, changes in policy, state, state dials in. And additionally, um, to, to staying engaged to, uh, to the management of our national forests and, and trails, um, stay tuned in and, and volunteer and engage whether you um, whether you can you can get out on the trail and, and, and swing a Pulaski or or haul some supplies with your horse or or if that's not your thing and time is really tight you know you're able to contribute to an organization financially maybe and that organization you know helps buy timber for a for a, a timber bridge or whatever um, so I, I'd say um, stay stay tuned in to the management processes, be engaged, and, and definitely um, let's continue and, um, and expand um, on-the-ground uh, partnership and volunteerism. With that, I'll pass it to Deb. Yeah, and, and I'll just add, um, you know, sort of the other piece of that, um, everybody, Randy, is, is the idea of being public land stewards, and I think that that's something that we can all practice um, you know, we all have stewardship responsibilities when, they're out, when we're out there on the National Forest, um, practicing leave no trace and tread lightly ethics, you know, staying on designated trails, um, you know, helping, helping, you know, keep trailheads, you know, free of manure because we're sharing trailheads with other users, things like that. 
um, you know, minimizing the spread of noxious weeds. Um, and just this idea that every time we're out on public lands with our, with our horses, we are ambassadors for equestrians. And, and there's a lot of people out there these days that don't, don't even have an opportunity to touch a horse or, or be around a horse. And there's a lot of fear because the animals are big. But, you know, mine's like a big Labrador. And, and so, you know, being able to let little kids, I've, fortunately I have a horse that I can, you know, let families come over and touch and feed a carrot and that type of thing. And, and I, I like to spend a lot of time, you know, because I was that little kid that always wanted the horse and didn't have one. So, um, you know, talk to people at the trailhead. Talk to them about your animals. Um, and, um, and then finally, you know, make sure you're prepared and your horse is prepared because we, we all are sharing trails more and more with other users that maybe don't understand who we are. And so, you know, desensitizing your horse to, to, to things, you know, getting them where they're pretty happy to see a mountain bike because there's carrots on the mountain bike or whatever, you know. I mean, anything we can do to be, um, to be better stewards and, and to... Uh, um, you know, share the trails and, and work with others and, and uh, you know, share our animals and our passion with folks. I've got to stop us because we are running out of time, but I do want to say thank you to Randy and to Jamie and to Deb for being with us today. And, of course, our good friend, Mr. Jim McGarvey, as well. And uh, I'm going to ask you guys if you'd like to come back again sometime because you've just had such great, great information. So we appreciate it so much. So very much. Get involved and uh, help where you can. So right now, I want to remind you that uh, you can tune in next Thursday for the Campfire Cafe starting at noon Central Standard Time, followed by Saddle Up America, when we'll be joined next week by Mr. Robert Eversole, the Trailmeister. But guys, you guys have been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. All right. Thank We're going to close the show today. Thank you to all our volunteers. Well, thank you. We're going to close this one with a song by Mr. Wiley in the Wild West. It's called Road to Narbacan. Thanks for listening to Equestrian Legacy Radio. Cattle graze beneath the mango tree. Cane fields waving in the ocean breeze Tangerine sun rises to greet me On the road to Narvacan Across the oceans I've come to see The raven angel who waits I know she's praying for me now On the road to Narvacan Love has taken me to this strange place Unexpected and unknown So I'll just follow my heart On the road to Narvacan
Filipina Mahal na mahal kita I can feel her getting closer On the road to Navistan Now my heart is beating faster on the road to Narvacan. <laughs> 